0: Hello. Uh, Welcome to uh, Kernels of Truth, brought to you by Progress Kentucky. We have got a really special episode for you tonight. First, we're going to cover the news of the week. We've got some very interesting stories we're going to cover. We've got breaking news about Russia-Rand. We've got a look at the COVID epidemic. We've got uh, uh, really important news about a few special elections happening very soon. Uh, And then we have got uh, our wonderful guest, uh, Kentucky author and essayist Silas House. Really excited to hear his perspectives on our Commonwealth and why our common interests are so challenging, uh, challenging to unite around. Uh, finally, we'll wrap up with our call to action and events calendar. So got a great show for you tonight. First, though, are you ready? Are you ready to help turn Kentucky purple? Uh, we know our Commonwealth has some more to do if we're going to beat back the tide of bad politics and policy from Frankfurt. From limiting school districts' ability to keep our kids safe to working desperately to breathe new life into the big lie and fire up efforts to make it harder to vote. Uh, if you want a commonwealth that works for all of us, join Progress Kentucky. Uh, it's really easy. Uh, follow us on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, kind of wherever you spend time on social media. Make sure to like and share and comment on our content. Uh, and if you really like what you're hearing right now on Kernels of Truth, Give us a thumbs up. Give us a review. Reviews really help for uh, for podcasts. But if you're watching this live, uh, just you know, give us a like and, and share the show out to your friends. Uh, and before we get into the show, I want to just check in with our co-hosts. Uh, and you know how we do that here. Who are you? Where are you? What does your protest sign say today? Because we are not some sort of you know, talking head media show. We are a digital demonstration for a more compassionate Commonwealth. Uh, So we're, uh, we want your protest sign. Uh, What does your protest sign say tonight? You there in the internet, feel free to make a comment. If we'd like it, we can actually highlight it on the screen. Uh, But me personally, my name's Aaron Viles. I'm coming to you from Childsburg, just, you know, in the outskirts of Lexington, really bumping up against that growth boundary. Uh, And my sign says tonight, Uh, Did you like the special session? Then don't sleep on the special elections. Uh, Next up, Kimberly. Hi,
1: everybody. I'm Kimberly Cecil Jones and I'm coming to you from my living room here in Louisville, Kentucky. So uh, my actual protest sign says today, because I love President Biden and I believe in what he's saying. I want to show my sign. I want to show my
0: sign.
1: <laughs> it says, "Can you see it?"
0: It's kind of reflecting. I can't really see. Okay, can what you see it now?
1: Touched. Can you see it now?
0: Oh yeah, there it is, right there. And I'm with you.
1: Tax the rich. The rich. Nice. Yes, that's my protest sign
0: today. Awesome. Uh, How about you, Nate? All
2: right, Nate. There, try it one more time. All right, well, let's try that one more time. Hey, folks, (laughs) this is Nate Orshan coming live and direct from Kits in my house here in lovely South Frankfurt, in Kentucky. And uh, tonight, my uh, protest sign would say, um, "Special elections." It's a very lame sign. Special elections are coming. Vote, vote, vote. More on that in a little bit.
0: Fantastic. Uh, really excited for this great crew to present to you news of the week. All right, so getting into the news of the week. First off, uh, we're going to do a bit of a COVID update. Uh, as we all know, tragically, schools continue to be the front lines of the Delta outbreak. And uh, it seems to seems to be that basically every day, there's some new horrible story about the cost uh, to schools and to their employees. Uh, last week, we got the news that Hart County's 2020 Teacher of the Year uh, had died of COVID. Who uh, seemed like just a really wonderful, amazing uh, woman who you know really invested in her her her, her kids. Uh, it's just really tragic that the you know the leadership of the county uh, wasn't nearly so invested uh, in their safety. And I think that makes at least 41 K through 12 Kentucky school teachers and other employees who've died of this dreaded virus. These are coaches, bus drivers, janitors. You know, just really tragic. Uh, but I think, and I, you know, this number is jumping around a little bit, but I think uh, as as many as, uh, you know, 154-ish of the 171 school districts in Kentucky uh, are right now requiring masks. Uh, so this is, of course, the kind of, they wouldn't have to be making this decision, but for, you know, the special session where the uh, Republican-led legislature in both houses uh you know, kind of overruled the governor's uh and the education uh you know the, the education board's efforts to put in place a school you know school statewide school mask mandate uh and they you know kind of put that energy down and that decision making authority down at the county level uh but i'm super grateful that uh you know maybe more than 154 but you know over 90 percent of the school districts are in fact choosing to require masks, choosing to do the safe thing. uh, But, you know, not all of them. And if you look at the map, you'll see that, you know, there's a a few spots where folks are not choosing uh, the safe move. And I think there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of politics in this. Uh, That information that we're sharing is being pulled together by AFT uh, 120 uh, and then Kentucky Equal Justice Center. Uh, And, you know, as this conversation is happening, we're seeing, you know, the the number of folks in the hospital continue to stress our hospital resources. We're still seeing, you know, uh, some very um, high levels of COVID through, throughout our Commonwealth. Uh, and uh, you know, unfortunately the, the legislature absolutely removed the ability of the, the governor to do everything that he wants to do to make our communities safe. So that's, I think where we're at right now. Uh, but you know, that, that freedom movement. Uh, and I say freedom, D U M B movement. Uh, we have got folks rallying, uh, in Glasgow, uh, for horse dewormer, you know, the right to take horse dewormer, uh, because more and more hospitals are saying, no, 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 wait a minute. We're not going to allow these, you know, non FDA approved treatments. Uh, you know, and that's, I think the smart move obviously, but there really is a lot of, um, There's a lot of concern. There's a lot of confusion. There's a lot of misinformation. And again, folks, just don't take horse duemer. You know, get your vaccination, get your shot. That's what's shown to be the most, uh, you know, the most protective. Uh, If you look at the folks who are in the hospital right now, the folks who are dying of COVID, you know, the vast majority uh, are are folks who have not been vaccinated. You know, getting the vaccine, uh, you know, means you are like 10 times uh, less likely uh, to end up in the hospital uh than uh somebody who doesn't get their their vaccination. So it's it's absolutely something we need to do. We need to confront it head on. So I don't know. Any anyone else have thoughts about the COVID situation right now in Kentucky and kind of how this kind of movement uh is, you know, I wouldn't say it's building, but it remains this kind of entrenched opposition to, you know, listening to doctors, listening to experts, and trying to find some alternative route because, you know, you learned more uh by you know, watching YouTube videos uh, than the CDC, who's got, you know, multi-million dollar uh, budgets and uh, experts, you know, who spent their entire careers understanding how epidemics work and what we can do about it. Kimberly or, or uh, Kimberly or Nate, any thoughts about this uh, current COVID situation here in, in Lex, or in Kentucky?
1: Yes, most definitely. Um- You know, you just wonder when is this going to be over? And then I thought that you could get this uh, ivermectin. I thought you could get this from like, you know, feeder supply or something of that nature. But I found out you have to have like a vet or a doctor to prescribe it to you. So I really want to know who are these doctors and vets that are prescribing this to people? for COVID. And I know right here in Louisville, um, there was a situation uh, where the judge struck it down. The woman wanted her husband who has COVID who's in the hospital to um, have the ivermectin um, administered to him. However, that was struck down. That will not happen, but we have to do something. I also read an article, Aaron, that uh, in the, in the entire country, We're way up there, I think, maybe in the whole entire country. I have to look back and see. Uh, But we have the most filled beds for COVID, basically, in this state, which is alarming to me. So, I mean, what are we going to do? Just continue to tell people to get vaccinated, right?
0: No, that's absolutely true. We have to tell people to get vaccinated. We have to find the most compelling spokespeople to get that information across. Uh, I did think it was, you know, the height of uh, just ignorance and uh, and outrageous behavior when you know folks like Robert Stivers, uh, you know, the Senate President, and, and others. Uh, I think Ralph Alvarado, similarly, were you know basically blaming the governor and blaming you know uh, Dr. Stack. For being, you know, too strident about getting the vaccination, and so that's why people aren't getting it, it because they've been told to. They've been, you know, fussed at so much by our governor and our chief health officer at the state, which is just astounding. Uh, but you know, I think it gets at some of the, you know, the tribalism in our politics, and it's absolutely uh, putting us in a situation where, you know. We have got to, uh, as you know, as our governor suggested, have the uncomfortable conversations and just you know try to appeal to people's humanity and appeal to the people in the community that can't be vaccinated, you know, our kids under 12 right now, the folks who have uh, you know immunodef uh, disorders and are, are far more vulnerable. Uh, so yeah, there's a, we're in a situation right now where we got to come together. We got to find ways to get across to to one another. And I don't think it's I don't think it's shaming people. I don't think it's making fun of them for wanting to take horse dewormer as much as that's you know crazy to me. Uh, but it's appealing to that kind of common good. So I'm, I'm really excited to talk about talk to our, our guest, Silas House, about that very issue. I think he's got some really wonderful thoughts about it. He's written some uh, impressive stuff about, about our common... Uh, Aaron, common can disease. I ask you a question? Absolutely. So it has come out that um,
1: our children that are the age of 5 to uh, 11 can now be vaccinated. Praise the Lord.
2: <laughs>
1: Do you think that a lot of parents are going to actually take their children to be vaccinated?
0: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I think so. I mean, you know, the, the fact that, uh, you know, we haven't seen the rates of vaccination in the 12 and up, 12 to 17 uh, range as much as I think we would like, uh, but there are certainly a lot of parents who are eager to get their kids vaccinated, there's a lot of kids who are exceed, uh, you know, are eager to get vaccinated. So I think we're definitely going to see, you know, a bump in protection, a bump in community resilience because of, you know, folks jumping at that chance. Uh, I hadn't seen the news, so uh, that's absolutely something that, you know, I want to, you know. Uh, make sure uh, we've got the opportunity as soon as possible. And, you know, and again, I've talked to my wife about it. It's not something a decision I'm going to make on my own, but it's definitely one that we're going to make with an eye towards, uh, you know, towards safety and uh, trusting experts at the CDC and elsewhere. So, uh, and Nate, anything you got to add into our kind of COVID conversation here?
2: Yeah, well, I mean, I, I hope I'm not stealing our esteemed guest Silas House's uh, thunder by, by giving away a little bit of, of this great uh, article, this essay that he um, had published in The Atlantic in August uh, called Some Americans No Longer Believe in the Common Good. But, you know, uh, as, as, as dire as things look and as, as sort of galling as it is to see some of our neighbors and relatives and fellow townspeople uh, behaving in, in a completely selfish manner, uh, in a tribal manner, as you say, Aaron. Uh, the good news is that these folks are in the minority, that that Kentucky's vaccination rates are actually on par with the national vaccination rates. We're just a little bit behind the, the national. I think it was 62 percent uh, across the country and maybe 58 percent in Kentucky. Um, I'm not sure whether that was only one vaccination or two, but the point is that we're tracking with A. We're tracking with national trends, and B. Uh, that's that's more than 50%. So no matter what, no matter how how horribly some of um, our our country folk and and Commonwealth residents be, may be behaving, uh, they are truly in the minority, and and that's uh, something to you know at least uh, take some heart from
0: i think that's right and i think you know absolutely people are just done with this pandemic right i think there's more and more frustration with people who are holdouts for no good reason people who are you know uh kind of buying the internet conspiracy lies uh and are looking for you know ulterior motives in experts that are trying to keep us safe i think that more and more people are just done with that right people want to go back to normal as much as possible and we're you know each and every holdout means we're, you know, not as close as we could be. Uh, So, uh, you know, it's good to hear that more, you know, more and more people are getting there. What we know is that mandates work, right? So, you know, as much as we've tried, uh, you know, pizza roll coupons, and, you know, the shot at a million, and, you know, some, you know, some really creative uh, ways to incentivize uh, vaccinations, now that the FDA has approved it, you know, the the, you know, the military is saying you have to get it because the military says you have to get every vaccination basically. Uh, and if more and more employers gonna kind of follow suit, we will see more and more people get the vaccination. Uh, and I think that's, that's an important and, and sound, smart step and the stuff that's come out of the White House in the past couple of weeks to, uh, to encourage that I think is, uh, is really important. So, uh, all right, so let's move on to story number two, uh, which I believe uh, our friend Kimberly has, uh, has got queued up for us. Maybe. Uh, you are muted.
1: I love being muted from time to time. It just makes the program so exciting. Uh, people can wager bets to see if Kimberly will unmute herself in time, right? So I bet you $5 next week, Aaron. I will have my mic unmuted on time each and every time.
0: Ooh, I will, Is that I will a bet? That
1: bet?
0: I will take okay. that bet. I I really don't
1: want to take your money, you know, but I will. will.
0: I don't don't think you will, if I'm I'm being honest here. I think uh, that's money in the bank for me. Uh, Tune in next week, week, uh, uh, viewers, and find out uh, who owes who money.
1: Yeah, and I'll give you my cash app tonight just so you can be prepared. So uh, talking about one of my favorite subjects when it comes to talking about someone, uh, which I normally don't like to do. But when it comes to the top three in my book, which is Trump. Mitch McConnell and Rand Paul. So today we're going to be talking about Rand Paul. Rand Paul came to uh, the Kentucky Sheriff's Association uh, last Thursday. It was down in Bowling Green. And uh, basically he was speaking to a law enforcement at the conference saying that he will continue to fight for increasing police funds and that he wants more positivity for the police officers. And just to sum it up for you, he's saying defund the police is a terrible, rotten, no good idea and we need to resist it. Also, there was someone there, uh, also a um, warrant, warrant deputy there Uh, That really feels like Rand Paul listens to them. He's hearing them uh, because Rand Paul is stating that he remembers uh, when the coup, when the attempted coup or insurrection, however you want to call it, happened on January the 6th, how the officers uh, whisked him away to safety. Um, and he also uh, spoke with this other young man uh, that's a Warren County Chief Deputy Officer, Kevin Wiles. He relates some information about his experiences to him and to the other officers there. Uh, Wiles had been in law enforcement for over 24 years and says he gets his joy from protecting the community. And he understands that things are a little tough right now. So Rand Paul uh, was in sync with him, acting like he was really listening to him. Uh, We don't know if he really was or if he's just on another uh, train. But uh, Paul said that he's going to continue his advocacy for police officers all around this country, uh, that they need to be more respected uh, and have a more uh, positive. Look on them, I guess, you know, when we think about police officers, maybe when we were younger uh, and there was something called community policing, um, a lot of us had a better uh, look about the police because we knew them and they knew us. But right now, uh, I also want to put this, and I would like to know what Rand Paul would say about this what's happening right here in Jefferson County. Uh, the contract was. Um, disregarded. Uh, The FOP disregarded the contract. Uh, They're working diligently with little time to come up with a contract that will uh, be feasible for both sides for the city as well as the FOP. However, the FOP disregarded the contract because they said that president of the council, David James, had made mention that um, uh, there was money on the table that could most certainly go to the officers. And this was said quite some time ago, and he did walk those statements back. But the FOP, they even used that statement in the contract. So now we're back to square one and one or two things can basically happen with that. One can be that they will resort back to the old contract until something is done. Or a lot of the community activists are saying, well, there's a lot of stuff that the people wanted in this contract that's not in the contract. And knowing that the DOJ is investigating uh, the Louisville Metro Police Department uh, doesn't seem like there's going to be this amicable decision. And also maybe there is some hope for police officers, especially here in Jefferson County. And I wonder what Rand Paul will come out and say. This morning at about 620 AM this morning here in Louisville, there were three students. just standing on their bus stop. They attended uh, Eastern High School. There was a drive by shooting, all three were injured. One was shot and killed at the age of 16 years old. And just moments after this gruesome murder, this morning, the, the school bus happened to pull up. So JCPS and LMPD are both saying that they're willing to put all of their resources behind Finding out who did this heinous crime this morning. So, I'm wondering what Rand Paul would say about that and um, what kind of contracts will go on between LMPD, uh, FOP, and the city. And uh, what are other officers saying around the state as well, knowing all the problems that we do have here in Jefferson County? Back to you, Aaron.
0: Yeah, I think, you know, Rand Paul's clearly kind of position himself as the, you know, anti-defund the police, you know, anti, you know, seeking any accountability from the police uh, candidate for this this upcoming election, right? Uh, and meanwhile, I'm sure he's going to look to do as much as possible to contrast him himself versus Charles Booker, right, who, of course, Charles Booker came, you know, to prominence in you know, his kind of underdog race uh, against, uh, you know, against, you uh, Amy uh, McGrath, the Breonna Taylor issue, you know, and the movement uh, for justice, I think, you know, know, absolutely gave his uh, his candidacy kind of a tailwind uh, and gave him a lot more attention uh, because he spoke very kind of authentically to the situation. Now, I'm sure that a lot of people remember that, and I'm sure that. Rand Paul's not an idiot as much as we like to make fun of him. Uh, and he is going to try to make that a kind of a wedge issue. Like, oh, look, Charles Booker wants to, you know, defund the police. But Charles Booker, I think, you know, obviously cares about the community in Louisville, cares about this Commonwealth. And I think looking at what's happening in Louisville, and, you know, Kimberly, you can speak to this far better than I can, you know, as a resident. But, you know, you, you get that sense that people want safety, but they also don't want to just give the the cops a blank check. To run roughshod over their community because they've seen what happens, you know, in that situation. Uh, so I think it's really a tough situation for you know for community members who 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 want you know community policing. They don't want a militarized police force, uh, but they also you know they don't want their kids getting shot at, at bus stops, and that's just tragic. Can
1: you can you honestly believe that now residents in this city, which our crime rate uh, per capita is worse when it comes to murders than Chicago or New York or Atlanta or Houston or L.A. And uh, when we look at these situations, we say to ourselves, how can we even allow our kids to go to school? You know, if they're going to be shot on bus stops, you know, just by free-willing uh, gun owners, um, legal or illegal, I have no idea. Maybe it's gang activity. Who knows? It hasn't come out yet. But uh, sometimes I think, Aaron, that we as progressives, sometimes we have to really work on our messaging because even some Democrats that I know don't even understand defund the police. And we're not talking about the fodder that, you know, Rand Paul is going to use. You know, they don't want police at all. No, we're talking about defund the police, meaning You know, take some of that money that police officers are not able to do uh, social services, uh, psychiatric things, unless they've been quite trained in that, which we do have some officers here uh, with LMPD, like the assessment team that will, you know, Our Lady of Peace or one of the other facilities can call, they can go out to someone's home. But guess what? They're coming to people's homes to do assessments, mental health assessments, and they have on police uniforms. That's already uh, a recipe for disaster. So uh, we we need we need to kind of work on that messaging a little bit so that everyone can truly understand what we're talking about.
0: Yeah, I think, you know, as much as defund the police uh, is not a great slogan, I do think it's an improvement on NWA's first draft, right? So I think, you know, we absolutely have have moved a little bit uh, in a better position. No, but obviously, I think you're right. It's about what you're funding in your community to keep your community safe, and it's not all about the police. There are other things that can provide better services, be more responsive, and actually help the root causes of crime as opposed to just you know some militarized police force showing up you know, to, to crack, crack skulls. So uh, I think we probably need to move on because we actually have a couple of stories we want to cover. And we don't have very much time, and I don't want to leave uh, our special guest hanging for too long. So, uh,
2: Nate, can we move on to your story? Can we ever? Well, what's this one about? I'll let you know. It's special election, special election, special election baby. What's that, Nate? This is night this is 2019. Woo. This is 2021. I thought I could sleep this year out. No, 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 no misamigaxes. You, yes you have a special election to vote for this upcoming November 2nd if you live in the following counties. If you're in Adair or Taylor County, that's the 51st district, you need to vote for a state representative to replace Representative John Bam Carney, a popular Republican from Campbellsville who sadly passed away at the age of 51 this past July. If you're in Garrett, Jessamine, Mercer, Washington, or part of Fayette County, I- Don't know which part, but that's all the 22nd district. You need to vote for a state senator to replace Senator Tom Buford, a Republican of Nicholasville, who sadly also passed away at the age of 72 in July. July was a very hard month. Uh, And if you're in Jackson or part of Laurel or Madison counties, again, don't know which parts. But uh, that's all. That's the 89th district. And it includes McKee, where my honey kid is right now, London and Berea. You need to vote for a state representative to replace Representative Robert Goforth, a Republican of East Bernstead, who at age 45 is very much still with us, but is dealing with criminal indictments for first degree strangulation and assault in the fourth degree. And is there a Democratic candidate hoping to get your vote for representative in the 89th district now that Goforth is, you know, going forth? Yes, 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 Gexes. that's May Suramek, a 48-year-old entrepreneur who started and still owns Noodle Nirvana in Berea, but who also has a really impressive human rights work and activism in her resume, including some time spent as an investigator for the Lexington Fayette Urban County Human Rights Commission and almost a half decade as the executive director of the Bluegrass Rape Center. Suramek's Republican opponent is Timothy Truitt, the current principal of McKee Elementary Heights School, and also the owner of Truitt's Pumpkin Patch. Uh, we probably don't want to give Mr. Truitt too much attention, given that we're pretty much totes progressive over here, but raise your hand if you'd like to get May Suramek on the kernels of truth before then. Throw your hands all the way, wave them round if you vote for May. Throw your hands all the way, wave them round if you vote for May. That's it. Go vote. <laughs> that, that's uh, wonderful. I did
0: not expect so much music in your segment, Nate, but I appreciate that. Uh, yeah, so May Cermak, uh seems like a great candidate. And you know, the way the special elections work, there's not a primary. So the local party gets to kind of appoint, recruit, plead for somebody to step up and run in these situations. And so May Suramac, a uh, great, great candidate, uh, will absolutely be, um, you know, be a great candidate. Uh, And also in the 22nd district, uh, that is uh, Helen, oh man, Bukulamez, we'll say. Uh, And that is also an individual who's got, I think, a great track record of working for the people already. Uh, Also, I just recently learned uh, that Helen's, uh, I think, deputy campaign manager uh, is our own Annabelle Nagel. Uh, So that is uh, pretty exciting. And um, I think that means we'll probably, you know, maybe have a shot at getting Helen on the show as well. So at any rate, uh, really important elections, pay attention, get involved. They're going to be low turnout, which means that everything you do as an activist has an impact: making phone calls, texting your friends, knocking on doors. You know, COVID cautious, of course, when wearing your mask, whatever. But I do think there will be opportunities to get involved, and I encourage folks to get involved. All right, so we're gonna move on. Uh, if it's okay, we're gonna move on. No, 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 no,
1: no. I gotta say one thing. You know, Aaron, I've got to say one thing. Oh, Nate, right. you is not Vanilla Ice nor Eminem. Keep your day job. <laughs> I love it, though. I give you a 10 for the effort of that rap. I will. I just had to say that, Aaron. I'm done. I'm finished. Let's get to our world-renowned guest. I'm so excited.
0: I am really excited as well. Uh, we're going to keep him hanging for like one more minute, though, because we are going to do we- this breaking news. Breaking news. Uh, um, Rand Paul Mitch McConnell's former campaign manager was indicted on multiple counts of fraud and illegally assisting a Russian national in making campaign contributions. That's, this is just happening now. Moscow Mitch, Russia Rand, their team loves to work with Russian oligarchs. They are so fond of Russian oligarchs. You know, uh, Rand Paul was, of course, you know, Passing on love letters from uh, Trump to Putin, he went to Russia to do that. Of course, we know uh, Moscow Mitch. You know, allowed for uh, Russian nationals to own uh, or invest in uh, you know an aluminum plant here in Kentucky. You know, uh, really done you know done some really just yeoman's work for Russia uh, out of our Senate contingent. Uh, and it turns out that's not just the senators themselves; it's actually their staffers as well. So uh, this is from the Louisville Courier Journal. Uh, Mary Ramsey reporting on that with some help from Morgan Watkins. This is Jesse Benton in the news again. He is married to a niece of Senator Rand Paul, Uh, you know, Rand who's made these trips to Russia. Uh, Mr. Benton's been charged due to working with a Russian foreign national to make an illegal campaign contribution to an unnamed, excuse me, an unnamed political candidate. Although if the math checks out, it looks to be very clearly a presidential candidate candidate. Donald Trump is what the timeline looks to be. Uh, If he is convicted, Benton faces maximum penalties of five to 20 years in prison. Uh, And the Justice Department says, you know, uh, that he is uh, somebody that would be definitely up for, you know, uh, a full span of that, uh, because uh, this is a guy who who has gotten a hit before. He was actually uh, pardoned by Trump. Uh, So that seems... Interesting. This guy who uh, accepted a hundred thousand dollar wire transfer from this foreign national deposited the funds into a company that he controls, and then made a twenty-five thousand dollar contribution to the politician. Uh, so Jesse made seventy-five thousand dollars for his efforts. Uh, the Russian national got to go to the fundraiser, got the picture with the uh, with the candidate, uh, and uh, and you know what happened there. Uh, this is this is a breaking story. There will be more details coming out but it definitely shows that, you know, a lot of these Republican, uh, you know, politicians and political operatives, folks who have very strong ties to our current senators, uh, were willing to play fast and loose with the the law, uh, and absolutely the ethics. Uh, and here we are, uh, you know, this is a guy that he did get uh, convicted of criminal charges related to an endorsement scheme during the 2012 presidential primary that involved a plot to provide Seventy-three thousand dollars in payments to a former Iowa state representative to get him to uh, endorse Rand Paul's father, uh, US, former U.S. representative Ron Paul. Uh, so he got tagged for that. He got, you know, indicted. He got, you know, found guilty. Spent six months on, on home confinement and two years on probation, and then he received a full pardon from Trump in December. That would be very interesting uh, if it was in fact the politician that uh, that uh, that benefited from this scheme along with uh, along with Benton. If that was Trump, so we'll we'll keep digging. We'll find out what we you know, what we can about this and share that information. But what I do know is that uh, this guy is uh, is no good. <laughs> you know, uh, you know, nailed twice for uh, similar schemes, um, and that is what that is what we know today. So that was news of the week. Uh, you know, if you want to talk more about the the Rand Paul's campaign manager and his illegal maneuvers, please p- take it to the comments. I think it's <laughs> I think it's outrageous. I think it's something we want to go deeper on, but we just don't have the time tonight. So we are going to move on to our to our uh, interview. Uh, but first, uh, a quick uh, pro Con- uh, progress Kentucky appeal. Remember, folks, if you like what you hear on Criminals of Truth, please consider supporting our efforts with a financial investment. We've got a goal of raising. $1,500 for our current organizing projects, and we're less than uh, 20% of the way there. So we've got some work to do. You can uh, Go ahead and invest in our efforts. If you want to turn Kentucky purple, purple. If you want to help make that happen, they're just 412 days until we got a chance to fire Rand Paul uh, and celebrate at his retirement party. Uh, please make a donation at our secure server, ActBlue server, uh, and help support the work. All right. So next, uh, we are, in fact, moving on to the much-promised interview with Silas House. Uh, And uh, Silas House is the New York Times best-selling author of six novels, including his most recent, Southernmost. His writing appears frequently in The Atlantic and has been published recently in Time, The Advocate, The New York Times, and many other places. He's a former commentator on NPR's All Things Considered uh, and uh, is the host of a radio show and podcast called On the Porch. House was an executive producer and one of the subjects of the 2018 Hulu film Hillbilly, which won the uh, L.A. Film Festival Documentary Prize, the Media Prize for the Foreign Press Association and many other honors. He serves on the National Endowment for the Humanities. uh, He serves as the National Endowment for the Humanities chair at Berea College and is on the fiction uh, faculty of the Spalding School of Writing. Uh, Thank you so much for joining us, Silas.
3: Thank you. I'm glad to be here.
0: Uh, Excellent. Well, uh, we have uh, had our eye on you as a guest for quite a while. We're really glad that uh, you've been generous with your time and make some time to to chat with us tonight. I am a fan of your essays uh, in the Atlantic, uh, and I think you've really developed a real, uh, you know, an ability to tie your experiences growing up and living in eastern Kentucky with these kind of current events and political issues that we are wrestling with right now as a society. Uh, Your most recent piece uh, is entitled Some Americans No Longer Believe in the Common Good, uh, and they are now thinking only of themselves. Uh, It's really hard-hitting, contrasting your grandmother and her community's experiences during World War II to the seemingly quite minimal steps folks have been asked to take to limit the loss of life during this pandemic. Uh, In our COVID coverage, we're talking a lot about schools right now. One thing I found really interesting in your essay was that you actually had a conversation with Jimmy Dyehouse, who is the superintendent of Science Hill Independent School District, which as we look right now is one of the holdout school districts does not have a mask requirement. And in fact, when that mask requirement was put in statewide, he, uh, I think he had a call to all the parents of the Science Hill, the Science Hill Independent School District uh, calling uh, Andy Bashir the liberal lunatic for trying to keep his kids safe. Uh, that tell me a little bit about that conversation. How did that go?
3: Well, I wrote that piece for the Atlantic mainly after I heard the, the recording of die House's call to all the parents. Um, I just, I wanted to hear his response when I, the first thing I asked him was, um, some people think that it's a small sacrifice to wear a mask even if there's the possibility that it might you know, save somebody from getting COVID. And his response was, well, why should I have to do that? And I just think that's so indicative of the problem today, um, this idea of not understanding or maybe just not caring about the commons, the common good, um, you know, being part of a solution, working together, uh, thinking of your neighbor, to me it just seems like such a simple thing to put the mask on. I just, um, I don't get it on one hand and on the other hand I get it because I've seen so many politicians like Rand Paul politicize it and I always want to point out that his uh, family benefits from people suffering from COVID his wife uh, purchased stock in Gilead, which is a, a COVID treatment in the early days of the pandemic. And so it behooves him to go around and tell people not wear the mask and not get vaccinated. That's really problematic on lots of levels. Um, and so I think, you know, I was looking for ways to sort of fight the anger that I have at that selfishness that I'm witnessing. And writing the piece really did help me, as writing often does, as writing always has, because it made me think about how this vocal minority, and they are a minority in Kentucky uh, by a slim margin, because now uh, 51% of Kentuckians are fully vaccinated. but they seem to be controlling us on so many levels, even even though they're uh, the minority, by just a couple points there. Um, I, I just don't know how some people can sleep at night risking children's lives. It boggles my mind. My mind has been boggled for the last five years though, so it's nothing new.
0: There's a lot of a lot of boggling happening right now for sure. Well, I think it's a it's a really impactful essay, um, and I know that it hits on themes that we ourselves, you know, here at this at this show, we want to struggle with, right? We want to find that commonality. We want to break down, you know, polarization. I think I I think Kimberly's got a question along those lines.
1: Yes, I do. First of all, I just want to pinpoint something that you said. You said Gilead. And my God, I'm such a handmaiden tell you know fan and it just brought to mind that just the gruesome evilness in that show in which we show sometimes in America with some of these politicians um, Mr. Silas House, let me ask you where do you think that we lost sight of the common good? you know we are the Commonwealth of kentucky so you would think it's a concept that we're reminded of frequently but we're not seeing it um at any time really that much during these times and second part of that do you think that that one administration that was before biden do you think that that had a lot to do with it as well even trickling all the way down here to good old kentucky
3: Absolutely. I mean the first thing that comes to mind for me is that, you know, I don't think that any politician, uh, if certainly no president is perfect, but I do think that a president sets the tone, especially in times of great crisis. In such a troubling time as the pandemic, Trump set the wrong tone in just about every way that I can think of, and, you know, he's built his whole career, his whole reality show career, um, and his political career, uh, the lines are blurred there, of course, but he's built all of that on greed, selfishness, and celebrating that, um, And so I think that was the thing I was most shocked about when he was elected president was that my whole experience of him, um, you know, because he's been around most of my life in the media, has been associated with selfishness. And so I just don't think there's 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 no way to separate his presidency from that lack of willingness to sacrifice a little bit for your neighbor. And again, it's not like we're asking that people are being asked to do anything incredibly difficult you know they're being asked to wear a mask um at at school to protect children that just seems so simple to me i mean i think i would go to i think most people i know would go to huge extremes to protect a child and yet so many people have rejected this notion of just wearing a mask and acting like it's, you know, an infringement on their freedom and all this ridiculous stuff that has been put out there by politicians and by talking heads um, on the so called news, on social media, all this misinformation. Um, so I think it is a combination of just, you know, for four years really not having a leader who was a good um, example of, of participating in the common good. Um, it became all about me, me, me. Not that it hadn't been before, but I think that escalated during that uh, administration and was really celebrated. I think one of the things that's troubled me so much over the last 10 or 15 years is the celebration of narcissism. You know, when I was growing up, that was a cardinal sin. That was the worst thing, you know, to be accused of was to be, if somebody said you were conceited or highfalutin. And now it's like, you know, people become celebrities (laughs) because they're narcissistic. So to me, it's like we're living in the upside down or something. And, it, and it's felt that way a while. And and Trump really fed on that and built that and turned it into just a, a tremendous monster, I think.
1: I think you're right, um, Mr. Silas. I, I, I really, truly do. And I also believe that no matter what someone believes in, whether it's, you know, Jesus Christ as myself or Buddha, you know, just Hinduism, whatever it may be. I think that people need a higher power to look up to, to have some moral stability. And I think that um, we've got a really bad spiritual problem going on in the world today and especially in America. But I'm just praying, I'm still gonna keep praying and hoping and staying optimistic that here in Kentucky, we can get to some sort of um, commonality and respect for one another again thank Uh, you
3: thank you i'm right there with you you know what else can you do at this point but just keep keep hoping and keep working that's why i appreciate what y'all are doing and i you know one thing i wanted to say is that every little bit counts and every little bit that we can do really matters i think sometimes people think well i shouldn't speak out i shouldn't say anything because i'm not out there marching in the streets and etc i really think that those day-to-day forms of social justice and those day-to-day acts of protest that we do just you know in the office or when we're at a cocktail party and somebody you know spreads misinformation or whatever i think those are really important acts of protest and important acts of social justice and we all can participate in that um, in, in whatever way we can there is um, there are many ways to do that um, and that's something that i have always told um, the young people in my life especially is you know to to use the talents you have to fight back in whatever way that is not all of us can be out marching in the streets but some of us can be singing songs and some of us can be on a podcast or whatever and making sure that factual information is shared, et cetera.
0: Wonderful. I think Nate has our kind of final question for you. Uh, Nate,
2: Where you got? Yeah, thanks, Aaron. Well, we uh, we don't often get an artist to speak with us here on Kernels of Truth, let alone someone who casts such a long shadow across the bluegrass and even across the nation. Um And having said that, I'd like to circle back to uh, that August article of yours in The Atlantic um, regarding our apparent epidemic of of self-defeating selfishness, uh, where you put the blame for it accurately, I'd say, on uh, demagogue politicians and on their allies in lying. Um, I guess what I want to ask about that are two things. Do you think we can harness art to counter the lies effectively and can the truthful messages in art scale to meet this avalanche of misinformation and animosity?
3: I mean, as a writer, I would, I would like to believe that's possible. What I, what I do believe is absolutely possible is that when I write an essay or a novel or I do a reading or whatever, I am just, hoping that I can reach one person and I think if I can reach one person and give them information that they didn't have before or get them thinking about the common good or you know get them thinking about what it means to be a good neighbor um, to get them thinking about if they're being told just absolute falsehoods by the people they listen to on the radio and TV etc I just feel like if I can reach one person, then it was worth writing that essay or that novel or going to that reading. And that's really all I can hope for um, is reaching that one person and hopefully reaching more and, and and having some part of, of them changing their minds on these things. Um, with that said, I think that, First and foremost, I'm a novelist. But when you are a Kentucky writer, you sort of have an extra responsibility put on you. And I don't totally understand why. But I think one reason is because Kentucky is often a microcosm of America. And as much as we talk about the way the whole country looks down upon us, uh, I do think that a lot of the country thinks that we're the worst of America but a whole lot of the country also thinks we're the best of America. And in fact, what we really are is a mirror for America. Um, and so I think there's a long history of Kentucky writers who do talk about these issues um, in a way that maybe in other places, you know, if you're a novelist, you don't get called on to speak out on these issues. So on one hand, um, I, I didn't, Expect that when I wrote my first novel, I didn't know that would be part of it. But on the other hand, um, it's given me an opportunity to to voice my opinion and have some small, you know, whatever little voice I have, uh, it's enabled me to 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 spread the word about issues that are really important to me, like environmental devastation or LGBTQ discrimination. Or women's rights, or the way that rural people are negated, the way working class people are negated, um, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm thankful to to be asked for my opinion, and I just want it to be as informed as it can be. You know, I, I really try my best to do that, and I think that's what we should all strive for in a. In a time when we have so much information at our fingertips, the danger is that we get the wrong information. So we have to work much harder to make sure that that's the right information. I think that's the beauty of the internet and also the curse of the internet.
0: That is wonderful. Uh, Well, you have been, again, so generous with your time and thank you for for visiting with us tonight. And uh, I think uh, our viewers, a lot of great comments uh, about what you've shared and and the role you've played to help you know lift Kentucky up and speak you know to to some of the negative stereotypes that are out there. You truly are I think a treasure for our Commonwealth, uh, and I think you do bring a lot of just insights into you know some of the the communities that. You know, we don't know as well, and need to understand a little bit better if we're going to find out. You know, find ways to bring our commonwealth together, so we really can achieve commonwealth. Uh, and it isn't just about, you know, the powerful versus the powerless, uh, or those who tap into, you know, horrible political sentiment. To uh, to win political power, to you know, uh, then continue to deliver for folks who aren't delivering for the real people. So, uh, and you know, I, I, I appreciate you sharing uh, your views with us tonight uh, and your time. Uh, and you know, we will all look eagerly for your next essay, your next book, your next uh, your next uh, foray into the public square.
3: Thank, thank you so much. I really appreciate what y'all are doing. And I just wanted to quickly say that I really think The Atlantic is doing really great journalism right now. Um, magazines and newspapers need people to subscribe to them to keep good journalism alive. So I think that's one way of fighting back is to keep journalism alive. I, it really is true that um, our press is on the front lines. And uh, nothing gets my dandruff worse than this notion of fake news. So th- that's a whole other conversation, of course. But thank you all so much for what y'all are doing. I appreciate you.
0: All right. Have a have a great, great evening. Thank you so much, Silas. Uh, all right. So we're now going to need to wrap it up. Uh, as we move out, we've got our uh, action event calendar uh, and our, our call to action, which I'm going to turn to uh, my wonderful co-host, Kimberly, uh, to present.
1: Thank you, Erin, you are so wonderful. The call to action is Progress Kentucky has joined the Kentucky Voting Rights Coalition. It's an organization, association of, uh, that's committed to ensuring that previously incarcerated people reclaim their right to vote and want more citizens across our Commonwealth registered and voting in every election. They have some events coming up to put these goals into action, and you can find out more about their efforts online. So there will be door to door for canvassing on September the 23rd. 25th, right in Lexington for voting rights. And you can go to mobilizeus kftc forward slash event. Then there is par people advocating recovery, annual re- recovery rally on September the 25th, right here in Louisville, Kentucky at six fifteen South third uh, street. And you can go to par rally. That's P A R R A L L Y.org. There's also going to be a voting rights table there as well, just to let you know. Then also, the Kentucky Democratic Party has launched something called Ready to Run. It's a new training program for prospective candidates and staff envisioned to provide the building blocks to win Democratic campaigns right here in Kentucky. There will be a few sessions, but the first is September the 23rd which is tomorrow. So to learn more or to apply, go to kydemocrats.org. Now, this is exciting, you guys. National Voter Registration Day is September the 28th. Progress Kentucky will be doing some tabling to get folks registered. This will likely be organized in Frankfurt. It might be a few days before or maybe after this effort will be headed up by the super activist Deborah Grainer with support from our organization and organizing team, which is Kit, Sandy and others. So if you're interested in doing some voter registration and a COVID cautious outdoor manner. Make sure that you're on our email list to be alerted. And finally, Progress Kentucky has launched a petition to urge the Kentucky Board of Medical Licensure to investigate the unethical and dangerous medical advice from Dr. Rand Paul. We're closing in on our signature goal. We are very, very close to 500 signatures, at which point we will file an official grievance with the board and hopefully get Senator Dr. Oh, I got other names for him as well. Paul's Kentucky Medical License suspended. If you think it's dangerous and irresponsible to instruct people to get arrested instead of following mask rules that will save lives, please sign and share our petition. You can find it at investigate DR Paul investigate dr paul so next week on kernels of truth i'm really excited about this we're excited and the whole team basically here at kernels of truth is excited because we're going to have someone uh mr jim aaron uh, do do we have mr jim's last name
0: we we do it certainly exists he has one uh, and I am definitely going to look for it right now. If you if you keep talking, I'll find it. It's okay. Jim, Chef. It's Jim Chef, everybody. Jim Chef.
1: Jim Chef. OK. Of Kentucky Heartwood, which is an important organization that speaks for the trees, a little like our Commonwealth's own Lorax they're doing some critical work helping protect our own national forests like the daniel boone uh, from multiple threats logging development uh invasive species climate change the list goes on and on so we're really looking forward to having uh jim on to drop some knowledge about how to keep our forests vertical instead of horizontal which is so important you guys you have to be here next week you may say to yourself, well, I've got other stuff I've got to worry about, but believe me, this is very important. No trees, the air won't be the same. No trees, it just, it just matters. Just believe me, we'll have an expert here to talk about it next week. So I just want to let everybody know for disclaimer purposes that Progress Kentucky is a nonprofit organization registered with the Kentucky Secretary of State Organized as a 501C4 is affiliated with the Indivisible Project and the Commonwealth Alliance Voter Engagement, affectionately known as CAVE, okay? Progress Kentucky's goal is to educate, organize, increase voter turnout, and advance a progressive agenda through civic engagement. Some of the graphic content provided tonight uh, was by Couchfire Media. Couchfire Media ignites multi camera live stream educational and commercial video production content. More information can be found at CouchfireMedia.com. Production this evening was by our own Annabelle Nigel, uh, our senior. Social media chair. I think I just gave her a new title. I think she'll accept that. I hope it's okay with the board. Okay. But I think she's just I love me some Annabelle. Uh, thank you so much, Annabelle for, you know, volunteering tonight. You did great to help get our live stream out to people. You are a superstar girl. I just want to let you know. And if you guys knew how young she was, you would not believe it. But this girl packs a powerful punch. Uh, and also when I let you know about the Jones report, It's a weekly live national local news and talk international conversation show that occurs on Sundays and will be starting really soon. We're going to keep you updated on that. We're revamping everything for you and the show. My co-host are Mike Breuer. You may remember him running for senator and Miss Betsy Foster, who's a dynamic political icon here in Kentucky and hosted by yourself. Of course, you knew that. Kimberly Cecil Jones, because it is called the Jones Report, right? So you can find it right here on Facebook on the Jones Report radio program. Thank you, Nate, for your great rapping tonight. If I was an A&R rep, I would sign you tonight, okay? (laughs) And thank you for the theme song that we hear every week. I want you to make up a rap to the theme song. I think that would be great. But you can find more information and music from our own Nate Orshan right there at natosongs.com. And that's natosongs.com. And if you miss our weekly live stream on Facebook, don't worry. Don't fret, my pet, because you can also hear us. Yes, you can. You can hear us on all of our other sources. And the links are on our Facebook page and on the screen tonight. And if you prefer... Who wrote this? If you prefer not to see me, I know you guys want to see me. I don't know about Aaron or Nate but uh the audio podcasts are available on apple google spotify and wherever you get your podcast i just want to give a big shout out tonight all of us do to mr silas house uh new york times bestseller like we have arrived y'all we have we have a mr silas house on we have arrived okay and then i just want to give a shout out to you know our great host One of the best hosts in the business of being progressive and making changes for all of us. Great host, Um, running neck and neck with me, but my brother, whom I call my brother, Aaron Viles. And to all of you out there, you know what I'm about to say. Do something nice for someone this week. A smile, a heart emoji when you're sending them a text. Uh, a quick phone call, you know, we kind of forget about phone calls and, you know, just open your heart a little bit more to everyone as you go through this week and let your positive energy just just come out, right? So do something nice this week. It'll make you feel good and it'll make that person feel good too. So until then, same back channel, same time next Wednesday, we'll see you with Mr. Jim from uh, Heartwood. Am I right, Erin?
0: Kentucky Hartwood, Jim Chef.
1: Yep. Yeah. See you next week.